We turn our Bibles then to Judges and chapter 13. Uh, Judges and chapter 13. Thinking of the first of four ways in which Samson is a type of Jesus. Firstly then, in his miraculous birth, focusing primarily on verses 1 to 7 of this chapter. A wonderfully instructive chapter in many ways for parents, for redemptive history, but thinking primarily of verses 1 to 7 of this chapter, the miraculous birth of Samson. And every birth is important, isn't it? 24,000 births a year in Northern Ireland, and everyone is important. You celebrate a birthday, and in that celebration, you look back at the memories of changes, the progress, the difficulties, the challenges with your family. And as you grow older, you look further back, and you trace themes and different experiences. Every birth is important. Every birth is spectacular. But not every birth is miraculous. And here we have a miraculous birth in the experience of Samson. We believe that God is involved in all of our births, don't we? In the formation of our body in Psalm 139, God is involved in forming us. God is involved in the creation of a distinct spirit for every human being at the moment of conception. Hebrews 12, he is the father of spirits. But that is in God's general providence. That is what he's doing all the time. But then alongside of that general providence of God and his involvement in the birth of every human being is his special providence, his miracles. And here in Samson's case, and as we'll see in Jesus' case, there is that supernatural involvement in the birth of Jesus and of Samson. Now, in considering Samson as a type of Jesus at this communion time, we're not engaging in something dangerous or questionable, some extreme practice of exegesis. We believe that Jesus is found in every chapter of the Old Testament. In Luke chapter 24, on the way to Emmaus, Jesus showed the two people in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And if we were there that day, we would probably have heard Jesus speak about Samson and show how he was a type, a foreshadowing of Jesus who was to come. And so in coming to Judges and in focusing on Samson as a type of Jesus, we are doing what we are expected to do with every chapter of the Bible. Find Jesus in every chapter. And Samson is one of the easier characters in the book of Judges to find Jesus in. Abimelech that we've thought of already and Jephthah are much harder to find types or insights into Jesus from their story. But Samson is a character in which we can find Jesus in his life and in his ways. And for us, as we come to this subject, we have great help because there's a phrase about the birth of Samson which is also used word for word about the birth of Jesus. In verse number three, 
we read the phrase, you shall conceive and bear a son. This was not expected. This would be miraculous. This would only happen because of the supernatural work of God. And those very words are used in Isaiah 7 verse 14 about the birth of Jesus. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Unusual, unexpected, only to be fulfilled by the supernatural working of God. And so we have this direct link between the birth of Samson and the birth of Jesus in these two phrases, verse 3 and Isaiah 7, 14. And so from these opening verses, we want to see five ways in which Jesus is seen in the birth of Samson. And as we think of these five points and apply them to Jesus, you have the connection readily in your mind. He was provided by grace. Jesus was conceived by power. Jesus was separated to God. Jesus was destined to save. Jesus, from the very beginning of his life, was announced to die. And so we, we see just on the very surface that these five things were true of the birth of Jesus. And they're rooted in the account of Samson's birth. So let's think, first of all, of provided by grace. Samson and Jesus were provided by grace in verse number one. Look at the first verse. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. In the book of Judges, there is this cycle of four parts. So first of all, the people sin, as we have here in the opening line of verse 1. Second part of the cycle is that God judges the people for their sin. This is the second part of verse number 1. The Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines. Now usually, and up until now, the third element of the cycle is that the people wise up, the people repent, the people pray to God for forgiveness and deliverance. Chapter 3, verse 9, for example, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord in response to their prayer, he sent them a deliverer. But that third element does not happen here. Perhaps the people are too worldly. They don't care anymore. They're happy to live as friends with the Philistines. They're not interested in prayer and deliverance. They're accepting this position of subjugation by their enemies. There's no prayer meetings organized. There's no repentance evidenced. There's no longing for deliverance. But God still provides the deliverer. Uninduced, unmerited, unasked for, he sends Samson. And that is our God. 
provided by grace. Down in Del Piero's last night eh, with my family, buying ice creams, of course, as, as we all do. Great place to go. Good prices down there. The girl behind the counter, very nice, very friendly, egging on my kids to put more and more toppings on, all the rest of it. Very good at her sales pitch. But when she came to my ice cream, she knocked the bottom off the cone. And, and there I was, about to be receiving this cone loaded with good things, or you can interpret that different ways, things, eh, but... The, 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 the end of the cone was not there. And I, I, I imagined this dripping onto my shoes, onto my, 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 my jeans. But, but she ingeniously grabbed another cone and stuck it on the bottom of the, the cone that was broken. That was kind. But it wasn't grace. She had made the error. And she was correcting her error. But this is Grace. The people had sinned. The people were being punished by almighty holy God. And he sends them Samson. And so it was in the first century, a world of darkness, a world of paganness, a world dominated by the power and influence of Satan outside the land of Palestine. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The church in the first century was pharisaical, depending on their law-keeping, an external religion, depending on their being of the seed of Abraham, thinking they could work their way into the kingdom of God. And the wide picture is that, that you and I, Romans 5 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't ask him to come. We didn't merit his coming out of pure sovereign grace. He came. Provided by grace. Secondly, conceived by power in verses 2 and 3. Here we have the angel coming and saying to the woman in verse 3, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now the angel's not telling the woman anything she doesn't know, is he? He's drawing attention to this condition that she is in. She cannot have children. She has not had children. And this is part of God's judgment on the nation. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, enemies will come and conquer the land. And this has happened. The Ammonites on one side, the Philistines on the other side. Alongside of that, there would be a famine in the land when the people turned away from God. And the book of Ruth records that famine which happened in the time of the judges. But alongside of enemies conquering, famine in the land is barrenness. And here is this, this woman, this, this mother, this, this wife, not, not mother, this wife, Manoah's wife. And she doesn't have children. She cannot have children. But the power of God... Is going to change that. And a son is going to be born to her. Just as Hannah, just as Sarah, just as Rebecca before her were in those similar conditions, so Almighty God will come. And by his supernatural power, even though that nation is sinful and unrepentant, such is his grace and his power, that he will provide the Savior Samson. For the people. 
And so it was in the birth of Jesus. Mary asked the angel, how is this going to happen? Because I'm not married. And the angel replies, this will happen by the power of God. He will come. He will provide the Savior from the unexpected source, the unlikely source of Mary, the young, unmarried woman. Conceived by power. And this point is so important for us, isn't it? Not just in relation to Samson and our problems, but in relation to Jesus. Here is Samson and he had the best start. His birth announced by an angel. Who's had that? Born into a home of godly parents in an awful social, spiritual atmosphere. But he had a godly home. Every inducement to live well, to go on with the Lord, to serve the Lord. And yet, he went astray so quickly and so far. Because in him and in all of us is the seed of sin. But Jesus is born by the power of God without the seed of sin. And so he lives perfectly. The life that we cannot live And he gives himself on the cross in the place of our sinful lives. And every boy and girl must repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Conceived by power. Thirdly, separated to God. This is verses 4 and 5a. This talk here of the the Nazarite, it might confuse you, but it refers to Numbers chapter 6, where laws were given regarding this special type of person within Israel. Nazarite means, the word means to separate, and so it was someone who was separated within their community to God, usually for a set period of time, maybe a year, maybe six months. They would give themselves to God, to serving God. They would not drink alcohol in that time. They would not touch unclean food in that time or an unclean corpse in that time. And as a sign of their vow, they would not cut their hair. That would be the outward evidence of that inward separation and dedication to God. Samson didn't take this vow seriously. It was a vow which God determined and and, and imposed on him. It was a vow to last all of his life. But he did not rise to the challenge and calling of this Nazarite vow. At his wedding feast of a week, we will see that he drunk alcohol. He got his hair cut on another occasion. He touched a corpse, the lion that had died or, or was killed. He did not fulfill this separation to God, which was announced and destined for him. Separated to God was the vision, the intention, the plan for this special boy that was to be born. Premier teams all this week, especially those at the bottom of the table, have been trying to focus the mind of their players on the last game. Some teams can stay up in the Premier League if they win their last game. 
And they have had experts in and former players in to give motivational talks to the players to focus on this last game that they could win and remain in the Premier League. Dearest Samson, he is to be focused, separated, dedicated to God. And Jesus from the very moment of his birth, was set apart to God. In Luke 1.35, we read the announcement of the angel, the child to be born shall be called holy. It's a really interesting announcement, isn't it? That, that people will look at this child as he grows and develops and will call the child holy. That is set apart to God. The words of this child, the lifestyle of this child, the priorities of this child indicate that this child is separated unto God. All that Samson was meant to be, Jesus would fulfill. Fourthly, destined to save. In verse number 5b, the announcement of the angel indicates that he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. The Philistines were a sea people, but they had entered into the land of Palestine by the north and from the coast. They were not originally interested in dwelling in the land of Palestine. They wanted to move through Palestine and conquer Egypt. But Ramses III in 1190 BC had defeated the, the, the Philistines in a major battle. And so reluctantly and in bad form, they had settled in the land of Canaan. And there was this tension between Israel and the Philistines. Their land, their territory bordered each other. And in this time, the Philistines had conquered the people of Israel, and were ruling over them. But Samson was sent to save Israel from the Philistines. This enemy who had conquered the people of God was to be defeated through the exploits and the mission of Samson. He was appointed to be a savior. And so at the end of verse 5b we read, he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Perhaps you see in your children what they will one day be. Perhaps they're really good at maths or they really enjoy reading. Perhaps they're good with their hands. Perhaps they're, they're quick with their minds. And you can see even in a youth, even in a child, something of what the adults will become as they grow and develop. And here for Samson, his destiny, his mission, his purpose was to save Israel from the Philistines. When Jesus was born, the angels said to Joseph, call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Just as Samson was appointed to be a savior of his people, so Jesus was destined and sent to be a savior of his people. 
You see in verses 5b how the language is that Samson will begin to save Israel. His work would be imperfect. It would be incomplete. Possibly in his life it was unconscious and not deliberate. He was unaware of his full calling and intention, the intention for his life. But he would be a partial savior. He would have some victories over the enemies. And this in itself is looking forward to the fulfillment of the Savior in Jesus Christ, the Lord. And lastly, he was announced to die. This is in verse number seven. You probably notice that the language of Manoah's wife, it differs slightly from the language of the angel in verses three and four. The the, the woman was excited. The woman runs immediately uh, to tell her husband the announcement of the angel. But she she omits the the, the last phrase of verse number 5b. He shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And she inserts instead in verse number 7 to the day of his death. So there is a part that she omits the the destiny of Samson to save Israel from the Philistines, but but instead she inserts the words the angels didn't speak to the day of his death. And it's a sober note. It's a new note. And, And perhaps it's a prophetic note that she has the inkling, perhaps the supernatural revelation that this Child's life will be short and his death will be sacrificial. And as we read the story of Samson and come back and read it again, we see the ominous nature of that last line in verse 7 to the day of his death. Even at the moment of his birth, his mother was thinking of the day of his death. Barry Webb comments, most striking is the different way she describes his destiny. She makes no mention of saving, but adds until the day of his death. Is it a premonition perhaps, a knowing dread of what must be, whether she knows it or not? Her words were prophetic. The death of Annabel Croft's husband at the age of 60 three weeks after he was diagnosed with stomach cancer, has surprised many people. A man who was fit, successful in his business, who had everything in this world that, that anyone could ask for materially. Three weeks after his diagnosis, he dies. But Samson's death was mentioned and thought of from the very beginning. And Jesus, the greater than Samson, as he is born, Simeon in the temple speaks of his death. And long before Simeon, the prophet Isaiah speaks of his suffering, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Like Samson, at his birth, he was announced to die. Provided by grace, Richard Rogers, in his commentary from the 1600s on Judges, comments that 
our latter works should be better than our former, but how rare it is. He's talking about this regression within the book of Judges. Israel should be learning from their mistakes. They should be repenting and developing in their spiritual life. And for all of us, as we come to another communion and look back over the last three months, we should be better than we were at the last communion. But Rogers asks, uh, 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 comments, how rare it is. And so in the church... We have grumpy old men and gossiping old women in some churches. We don't progress as we should. That's why we look again at this communion to the grace of God. He gives us what we don't deserve and certainly do not merit. Conceived by power, what a God this is, comes to this woman who physically and biologically has no hope of a child. And he says, I'll do by my power because with God, nothing is impossible. For young people sitting exams, struggling with understanding it, ask God to help you, to give you the discipline to study to open your minds, to grasp your subject, to remember it in the moment of exam. Don't leave him out of your study. This is our God. What power he has. He can do what is impossible with us. For parents in middle life, with all the challenges, all the demands, all the pressures on your life, and you're struggling to do your quiet time, come to this God. He gives us power to do what we cannot do. For those of you in older life, feeling weak, feeling unneeded, unused, feeling that all opportunities for service seem to be closing, look to this God. He will give you power to bear fruit in senior years. Separated to God. This is a point we think of at pre-communion. We examine our lives and we ask are we separated to God? In the books that we read, in the films that we watch, in the newspaper that we buy, in the values that we possess, in our occupations, in our downtime, are we separated to God? I'm always challenged by the memory of a visitor going to a small town in Perthshire and asking a stranger, where the holy man lived. It was my Bible class teacher they were talking about. And the stranger knew exactly where the holy man of that town lived. He was separated to God. Destined to save. All of us are sinners. And all of us will go to hell and all of us need to repent of our sins and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. He was sent because we cannot save ourselves. And at this communion time, we come to communion because we recognize Jesus is the only Savior. Jesus is my Savior. And announced to die 
We all live in the shadow of death. The experience of Annabel Croft's husband, we belong to the same species. That can happen to us. We're frail, we're mortal. The future is uncertain. Teenagers, don't wait until you're in your 20s to give yourself to God, to put God first, to serve him. We're not promised the 20s. Today is the day to give yourself fully to God. Announced to die. What a chapter this is. Showing us the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only showing us Jesus in this type and picture of Samson's birth, but showing us Jesus by his presence in this chapter because he is the angel of the Lord. We're not only seeing the birth of Jesus in type here, we're seeing the birth of Jesus in foretaste. He's sampling it here by taking on a human form and coming to Manoah and his wife in this form of the angel of the Lord. He is there in this chapter and he is here in this church. And for all parents, that's a wonderful thing. We're all asking in verse number eight, what shall we do with this child? Teach us, show us as parents, give us wisdom to know how to bring our children up. We need your help, your direction. He was there, but he is also here. And his name is wonderful. 